Welcome to the ninth episode of The Sample Study. I'm very glad that you're here for this session. The date is Thursday, June 22nd, 2017, and I'm your host, Tumelo, standing at attention in front of my music production software. Here at The Sample Study, I take just one sampled song per episode, take the song it is sampled in, recreate the beat by hand, and analyze how the producer who sampled it got from having a record in their hand to having the sample on a record of their own. Okay, so this week, we're having a real blowout on the sample study. This week and next, actually, I'm featuring my favorite producers of all time in kind of a grand finale of two episodes. This week, we'll be looking at a beat by the legendary Jay Dilla, also known as JD. If you don't know who that is, you're going to get some knowledge dropped on you this day. If you do know who that is, get ready to be gushing with me throughout this episode as we analyze his inimitable production style I mean it, I literally couldn't imitate it very well. Not only will we be looking at The Far Side's Runnin', a classic song on which Dilla spun out a simple guitar riff from Stan Getz and Luis Bonfa's Suarade Vim Correndo, Sorry I Can't Roll R's, we'll also be introducing a new segment to the show. I asked for new segments on Twitter after realizing that the last few episodes have been under 20 minutes long and got some really good ideas. Stan Getz is well known for popularizing Bossa Nova by partnering with the Brazilian artist Estrude Gilberto, her husband, Juo Gilberto, and Antonio Carlos Jobim for the album Getz Gilberto and the hit single, The Girl from Ipanema. You might know that song. Luis Bonfa was a samba composer also from Brazil, whose style predated that of Bossa Nova and was energetic instead of leisurely and relaxing, like that genre is. He also worked with many American musicians, including, in this case, Stan Getz. Suadade Vim Carrendo is a B-side on their collaborative album Jazz Samba Encore. Let's listen to it now.
The musicians on this song are Don Payne on bass, Dave Bailey on drums, Luis Bonfa himself on guitar, and Stan Getz on tenor saxophone. Maria Toledo does the vocals. And hey, guess who's producing? It's Creed Taylor, who we unfortunately talked about for the first time when we were discussing the failed Dune concept album by David Matthews that he helped produce in episode two. Dilla, Dilla, Dilla. I could and will do a whole episode on Jay Dilla. His contributions to hip-hop as a whole, and sampling in particular, are just so, so large. He has been the only producer to completely baffle me with his style as I was learning to produce, and here on the sample study, he has done the same thing. I can telegraph pretty much everybody else, you know, guess at their methods and their reasoning, but Dilla's music just has a life to it that is so different from the way anyone else produces hip-hop, a genre that is largely defined by the ability to produce through computers and make everything nice and neat. Dilla says, screw this, as so much of what makes his sound his is based on performance and feel. He plays the sampler like a real living instrument, not just a tool. The Far Side was able to create two classic songs out of their partnership with Dilla, Drop and Runnin', which is the subject of our show today. They're both from the sophomore album, Lab Cabin, California. The Far Side consists of Imani, Slim Kid Trey, Booty Brown, who is also the producer of most of the second album, and Fat Lip. Their style of emceeing is spontaneous, energetic, often comedic, and extremely unique, even today. Actually, their first album, Bizarre Ride to the Far Side, is one of the albums that helped make me who I am as a musician and helped me realize that hip-hop really doesn't have that many rules. Here's the song, Runnin'. guitar riff and samba percussion is really incredible. It is one of the most loved beats in hip-hop and one of Dilla's crowning achievements. The vocal performance and writing by The Far Side is also excellent. Okay, so I've introduced the sample and the sampler. Let's move on 
to the part of the show we call The Lab, where I will produce the beat in question using the sample in the same way the original artist did. So here we go, recreating a Dilla beat. I was actually nervous about this, but it went well. So the first thing we're going to start with is identifying and looping the sample. It's this part at 2.04 of the original song. And that has been pitched up by one semitone and 16 cents or 66 cents altogether to work at a BPM or a beats per minute tempo measurement of 94 BPM. It loops nicely, uniquely starting on an offbeat at the end of each measure rather than the beginning of the measure. Uh, you'll see more of what I mean when we put the drums in. As for the drums, Dilla usually has a kick drum played at a few or several different volumes, a steady constant snare, and hi-hats that sometimes seem like they're changing volume, sometimes not. Honestly, the more I think about Dilla drums, the more it hurts my head. They just groove. They just sound good. Dylan makes ample use of the Sween feature on the MPC that is his main production tool. Sween is the term for a feature on samplers and drum machines that allows a groove to be automatically introduced into a pattern or into button presses by offsetting the rhythm of what is played. Drummers do this naturally, of course, deciding how much Sween should be inserted into a song in a more human way. And even though Dilla uses the Sween feature, I think that his approach is more like that of a drummer playing his kick drums live and recording the natural sequence so that it feels like his groove never really repeats itself and just keeps getting stronger. Everything in Dilla Beats often revolves around the kick drum and the minuscule changes in its rhythm. Runnin' is honestly one of the only times that he plays it pretty straight for the most part. Um, to make the sample sound like the one in the original track, I've also put it in mono and greatly increased the mid-highs to bring forward both the guitar and the percussion which are a hugely important part of why the sample works. I'll also filter out most of the low end and the extreme high end. Uh, let's start with the easy part, the snare drum, playing it straight on the two and the four beats of each measure. Um, in a Dilla beat, you can kind of set your watch by the snare drum. Usually it is the thing that stays consistent and does not change. The hi-hats also are playing it as straight as possible. Then we rip another sample, a cabeza loop from Flying Easy by Woody Herman, and I think this adds greatly to the groove. Here's the original. And I've chopped it up like this. It is also good to note that the song Runnin' starts with this part of that sample. It's a common practice for Dilla to add to his kick, snare, and hi-hat with a percussive loop of some sort, sometimes just one instrument and sometimes an entire drum loop with a high-pass filter on it. For this cabeza loop, I added some high mids and filtered out a lot of noise in the upper highs that I was getting in my copy of the sample. Now let's add the all-important kick drum. The way the kick is played sounds almost haphazard. 
you know, but it's all to contribute to the overall groove. Listen to my kick drum pattern compared to that of the original track. got the feel right. Uh, got it right enough, but there's just something about that swing on the original track that only Dilla can do. Part of it is that the kick drum has such harmony with the feel of his snare, uh, something that is missing my track because the snare I use is a little too different. Now, for the chorus, Dilla adds a bass line and more warmth to the sample. I'm not exactly sure where he got this bass line from, if it's a filtered copy of the sample or what. But the bass in the sample didn't seem that strong to me. It didn't seem like he could draw that from it. So what I did was assume this is what he did. I copied the sample and I low pass filtered it so I could only hear the warm lows. Then I played a sub bass. Uh, from a synth with a low sustain and high decay over everything to mimic the Dilla bass line. Low sustain basically means the sample starts at a high volume, but the volume fades over time. And the higher the decay is, the faster it does this fading off. This was to mimic the way a bass guitar string acts, starting with a strong sound but fading off as the string vibrations lessen. There is one more surprise change-up that happens in the run and beat. Part of Stan Getz's sax work is taken advantage of in the only big shake-up of the beat here. Now, <laughs> this is the part that broke me. I, I can't tell what exactly is going on here, and it's probably way more simple than when I tried to do, like way more simple. But essentially, Dilla starts by emphasizing three sax notes and then makes the instrument very naturally drift off over the course of the measure. I did this less naturally. I'm guessing that he used some combination of the sounds I did. I feel like I'm very close. And I don't have the patience to go over it millisecond by millisecond and figure it out for just this, but I took the pieces of the horn part and I tried to make something similar. Also anchoring this part of the beat is the low-passed copy of the sample and the sub-bass. So that's running our very first Dilla beat of the show. Let's listen to it all together. <laughs>
So I said there was going to be a new segment this episode. Let me welcome you to the Tech Trek. Tech Trek. That's fun to say. In this segment, we're going to look at a different piece of hardware or software that revolutionized hip-hop. Tech Trek. At Thursday's Rain on Twitter suggested this segment, asking for more discussion of equipment used in the past and present, and I thank them for it. So today we're going to do a small biography of the Akai MPC, first released in 1988, the single most legendary piece of hip-hop hardware gear, and the device used by Jay Dilla. MPC used to stand for MIDI Production Center, and now in the modern day stands for Music Production Controller. The MPC 2000XL and MPC 3000 are probably the most popular models. They have a lot of different features uh, across versions, but the most common thing they're all known for is two things. The 16 soft rubber pads that are velocity sensitive, uh, meaning the harder you hit them, the louder the sound produced is, and the softer, the quieter. There is also the option to make each pad always hit at full volume, called full level. Their other biggest feature is the swing, which I talked about before, the ability to add a calculated amount of swing into your sequences. The MPCs combine the capabilities of a sampler, drum machine, and sequencer and are, for this reason, in the category of hardware called groove boxes. Basically means a single device that is capable of producing entire tracks on its own. Throughout the evolution of the device, it's gained increased memory and sample storage capabilities, the ability to switch between four different banks of 16 samples on the fly, which basically means uh, there are banks A, B, C, and D, and each of those will let you immediately play 16 different samples on the pads as you switch over. So I could have all my drum samples on A and then all my melodic stuff on B. Um, also enhanced connectivity with computer software over time, is, of course, and advanced sampling technology like resampling, which is converting the sample rate either up or down, uh, increasing or decreasing the fidelity of a sound, or time stretching, adjusting the speed at which samples are played without affecting the pitch, which is something I've talked about a little here every time we try to figure out which pitch the sample is on. Recently, the MPC, uh, in its legendary status, has birthed a series of MIDI controllers called MPDs, which are also made by Akai, and don't actually store samples like the MPCs, but they are physically much the same thing, and they allow you to play sounds on your computer and your music software using the MPC-style pads and swing features. I have one of these. It's the perfect way to bring the physical satisfaction of using an MPC into the modern age, and it's really affordable. It's only around 100 bucks, with actual MPCs starting at 300 with the fairly modern junior model MPC 500, and only going up from there. Speaking of bringing the MPC into the modern age, Akai recently unveiled the MPC Renaissance, which is a whole relaunch of the brand that allows you to use an MPC in symbiosis with a computer. Uh, using the computer's memory capabilities, but still being able to do everything inside the MPC hardware. It's not quite as detached as having an MPD as a controller is, um, and it's obviously preferable to using one of the older MPC models with their limitations. Now, for the MPC's connection to hip-hop, since it can be used both for chopping up and playing back drums in a natural way and for segmenting and playing back samples... It was only natural that it got used by producers of the music genre that was most interested in the art of sampling. Uh, plus, it's kind of an all-in-one box. Sometimes it's memory limitations. Some of the early models only being able to hold 20 or so seconds of samples would make loops shorter. Actually had an effect on the product. Um, on some groundbreaking sampled albums like DJ Shadow's Introducing, 
You can definitely hear how many samples are played in small bits so as to agree with the memory limits of early samplers. Sometime when I have a really open week, I'll dissect a DJ Shadow song from that album. There will be a lot to dissect. <laughs> well, I think that will do it for this session of the sample study. If you have questions or requests, send them on over to samplestudycast at gmail.com with the subject line questions or requests. You can follow the show on Twitter at samplestudycast, and you can follow me at mellow without the W makes. That's mellow makes. I really appreciate iTunes reviews. If you have the time to leave one, it really helps the show get out there. Or just tell your friends. If you would like to support the show financially, my Patreon is patreon.com slash 2mellow. That's the number 2 and mellow without a W. And you can make a one-time donation at paypal.me slash 2mellow. I'm trying to get the Patreon to $350 monthly, and if I do that, all patrons will start getting the sample study a week early. I've also currently got a Kickstarter going on for my sample-based album series Midnight Broadcasts to get some nice-looking physical copies. It's part of the reason why this episode is a little rushed. I was doing a lot of work on that thing. But it's launched now, and it's somewhat out of my hands. <laughs> um, you can find that campaign by searching Midnight Broadcasts Kickstarter. It is definitely the first result I have tested this. You can purchase Stan Getz and Luis Bonfa's album Jazz Samba Encore, and the Far Sides Lab Cabin California that trips me up every time at pretty much anywhere you would get music. Thanks so much to Slim Kid Trey, Fat Lip, Imani, and Booty Brown, and Stan Gatz, and Luis Bonfa, and most importantly, you, for joining me on this session of the sample study. Keep digging. You'll find it. Mm-hmm.